With our newfound companion, we pressed on to the far side of the room, where Johnson said the door would be. In the darkness, it was well hidden off in the corner, revealed only by our flashlights. Owens tried the door, and it was thankfully unlocked, and led to a stairwell that went down several flights. There was an elevator next to it, likely for the transportation of equipment and other materials to be destroyed. We didn't dare take it, though, not with the poor maintenance of the rest of the facility. Traversing the stairway was a tedious and slow process, not only to check for signs hiding throughout, but to also avoid making too much noise as we moved to another level of the facility entirely. Each step seemed to rattle and shake the metal stairway, announcing our presence to anyone or anything within earshot. The exit from the stairwell to the maintenance area was a solid door, but with no locking mechanisms like we had seen in the other security areas. We opened it quietly, again with Owens and I on each side, Johnson covering the rear. Our new companion proved to be an experienced one, familiar with our techniques, and clearly had been on several expeditions prior. The door opened to a very wide open area. Machinery pertaining to the multitude of departments was scattered throughout. A paved and painted road had been constructed to help the traffic of the various workers. The maintenance area was much rougher than the others at first glance. Where smooth concrete and painted walls filled the upper levels, grime, dirt, and a generally less kept appearance governed this new level. Thankfully, we could see clearly across the wide open space, which included labels for each functional department. We spotted materials processing and assumed this was our most likely place to start looking for the exit. Unfortunately, there were at least four signs moving around the open area. Being unsure of how many more we might encounter by fighting with these few, we opted for concealment rather than engagement. We kept to the outer edge using the large pieces of machinery left down here, which provided more than adequate cover. Finding our way to materials processing, there were several large piles of various types of material, all of which seemed like it was used in the experiments above. Several piles of fried electronics, a pile that was covered in black plastic labeled biohazard, and a general collection of garbage that was never processed from the upper levels. The nearby disposal machines were still in operation, letting off a loud grinding noise that drowned out everything. A maintenance office was located near a tunnel where the sound was coming from, which we made our way to. We reached the control station for the first disposal machine, a giant opening with several moving cutting blades and crushing contraptions constantly in motion. The conveyor that normally fed items for disposal into the machine was not running. It appeared to be operated manually, likely as a matter of safety. Several warnings were placed all around the area to stay clear of the moving machinery. Undoubtedly, this occupation was highly hazardous, what with the large number of safety precautions posted all over. The control booth held several manual levers and a chart on the wall explaining the basic design of the macerator and the shutoff procedures. It appeared that above the destruction of disposal materials, the designers of this device wanted workers to have clear instructions on how to shut it down. In the chaos that ensued during the fall of the facility, it appears that these instructions were not followed, 
The diagram of the macerator showed two L-shaped bends beyond the entrance we were currently located at, like a pipe curved 90 degrees. At each elbow, a macerator existed to smash and destroy materials for movement to the outside. At each contraption, a control booth existed to manually shut off the corresponding machine. An automatic ladder would be released, giving access to the lower pipes. Otherwise, it was about a 20-foot drop down the tunnel, risking almost certain injury. The end of the macerator tunnel led to an exit that dropped off materials from the conveyor to the surface. The diagram indicated that the safe method for reaching the outside were side doors that were located just after the last macerator. These were sewer access tunnels for the processing of human waste, but doubled as an access tunnel for both operations. Owens, I said. I don't know what will happen when we shut this off, but I think Johnson and I should cover the outside in case those signs take interest. Owens nodded. Looking over the levers and rereading the shutoff instructions, I motioned for Johnson to follow me to the tunnel where the blades and crushers were running. We each took up a position, looking out into the open area, the four Symes still wandering around, looking for hosts per their usual programming. I looked to my left at the control room, where Owens was looking for some sort of signal. I nodded and gave a thumbs up to him. He started pulling levers, which created a loud hissing noise and a screech as the large machine turned on its braking system. The four Symes took interest immediately and started charging our direction. Johnson raised his weapon and fired first, scoring a direct hit on the Syme closest to us. The creature lurched backward, falling to the ground and ceasing all movement. I took aim at the next closest and put a direct hit into the chest of another Syme. It buckled and fell to the ground. The last two, however, deviated course, moving to a nearby piece of machinery for cover. I had never seen this behavior before, but kept my eyes focused on my sight to see if I could identify an arm or a leg that was exposed. Then we heard it, a loud and long scream from the two Symes. It echoed off all the walls, reverberating the sound from all sides. I looked over at Johnson, who returned a concerned expression. The sound of the scream subsided, followed by the creeping sound of hundreds of footsteps. From around different pieces of machinery, at every nook and cranny, signs poured out by the dozens. There had to be a hundred or more of them, bearing down on us now that our position was revealed. Owens! I shouted. Owens had just finished in the control room and was coming to join us. He had clearly seen the swarm of signs coming our way and was moving as quickly as possible to the ladder that would lead us down the tunnel. Johnson had raised his weapon again and had started firing into the swarm of Symes. I reached him a moment later. Knock it off! There's too many of them! We need to get out of here! Come on! I yelled in his ear. He didn't need convincing. We turned and sprinted to the ladder. Owens had already made it part of the way down. Johnson got to it first and began mounting the ladder. I placed some careful shots into some of the leading Symes as he lowered himself down. I went next, trying to ignore the terrible sound of impending doom bearing down on us. Owens was through first, moving straight from the ladder to the control room. He got to work immediately on shutting down the next section, but also managed to restart the macerator we had just passed through. 
Johnson and I took up position next to the second ladder and watched as the signs began pouring through the gaps, several of them in some form of insanity, jumped straight into the running macerator. Others jumped down every side, all the way down the full drop. The first down were damaged badly by the fall, but there were simply too many of them to be stopped. Those that came after the initial wave were destroyed, landed on the bodies of the other Symes, climbing up and continuing their pursuit of us. Johnson and I opened fire on the ones that made it, barely thinning the massive force that was forming at the base of the ladder. Owens was with us again, waving that he had the next machine stopped and the ladder deployed. He went first, then Johnson. As I swung over the ladder, two signs were almost on top of me. Gripping the ladder with one hand, I used my pistol on them, blasting small holes in their bodies and arms. I gripped both sides of the ladder and slid down the rest of the way, feeling a sharp pain in my legs and spine as I hit the ground with more force than I meant to. Ignoring the pain, I moved back into position by Johnson, who had been opening fire on the signs that were falling all around me. Owens restarted the upper machine, but it was almost useless at this point. So many signs had poured through while it wasn't in operation that Dotson and I were having a hard time controlling them. I felt my rifle give a distinctive pinging sensation and began to reload. I did so as quickly as possible, continuing the fight, but several signs had been able to advance while I was not firing. Johnson then had to reload, and that's when they reached him. Johnson put up his arms, holding back the sign that had reached him, tentacles firing out of its face. I fired on the sign, blasting it apart, but there were two, three, four more that ran into him at full speed. Beyond any terrifying sight I could imagine, Johnson was picked up off his feet by the impact of the four signs, and all five of them were thrown backward into the running macerator. I didn't hear anything. He just disappeared from sight, undoubtedly perishing to the horrible machine that ripped, crushed, and destroyed with complete indifference. I refocused on the incoming monsters, narrowly avoiding a close-quarters fight by blasting apart two or three that were near reaching me. Owens had made it to me then, gave me two pats on the shoulder to indicate he was there, and I didn't need any other convincing it was time to go. We practically jumped down the entire gap, sliding down the last ladder at full speed. Again, I tried to ignore the pain that shot through my back as I hit the ground hard. We ran then, full sprint away from the incoming Symes. We knew there was an exit to the sewer systems, and we desperately looked in our panicked flight from the swarm. Owen spotted it first, pointing out the small maintenance door on our right side. We deviated that direction, Owen's reaching it first. He opened it and turned to engage the Symes as I reached him. I got through the door and he followed. As he turned to shut and bar the door, two Symes reached in and grabbed Owens. They were pulling him back into the tunnel. I grabbed onto Owens, holding him back from the monsters. Grabbing my pistol, I dumped the entire magazine into the creatures, but there were so many of them. More and more seemed to show up. The combined force eventually overwhelmed us and Owens was pulled back into the tunnel. I had a split-second decision to make, and to my eternal regret, I slammed the door shut and barred it. I left my friend and companion behind 
to be destroyed by the signs. They continued to bang against the barrier, but it was thankfully strong enough to withstand them. I was crouched down then, overcome with what had just happened. I couldn't get up. I couldn't move. Not yet. After some minutes passed, listening to the signs bash against the door hopelessly, I collected myself and moved away. I had to continue, or there would be no one left to tell the Enclave what happened here, to warn them. I reloaded both of my weapons, unsure if I would encounter signs in this tunnel as well. The sewer tunnel, which had long since dried up from years of non-use, was quiet. Apart from the fading sounds of the signs, I didn't encounter another soul as I continued down the path, hoping to find the exit. It was not lit at all, requiring the use of my flashlight at all times. Wandering the sewers in the darkness, no map, no direction to be had, I truly felt like I was alone, as if the environment around me was reflecting the grim fate of all my comrades, leaving me to reflect on their passing in these abandoned tunnels. The time seemed to drag on as I went this way and that, the maze of the sewer system confounding my senses. It wasn't until hours of aimless travel had passed that I came upon something I was not expecting, a light at the end of one of the tunnel passages. It was faint at first, only offering a dim reflection off the smooth cement walls. It got stronger over time, the light bobbing up and down, almost as if someone was holding it. Then it came around a corner, held by one man leading a party of three. I turned my light on myself, putting my hands in the air. Human! I shouted. The men, alarmed by my appearance, raised their weapons and descended on me. What did you say? They asked. Human! I'm, I'm human! I repeated. They looked at each other, seemingly perplexed at both my presence and what I was saying. Who were they? I wondered. No expedition from the power station would have ventured down here. They also weren't accustomed to me identifying myself. Only thing we ever find down here are those creatures, human, said the man holding the flashlight. What's your name? Ward, I replied. I came from the survivor's enclave at the power station. Power station? They asked. Never heard of it. Everyone upstairs died when the place fell apart. Again, the three men looked at each other, considering what to do with me an oddity that seemed to have wandered into their home. If you don't mind lowering your weapons, I can explain, I said, looking from their faces to the rifle muzzles they had pointed at my chest. They stowed their weapons and allowed me to get to my feet. I gave them an abridged history of the escape from the facility to the power station that we, as a small group, had been scavenging the upper levels for food that we called the creatures the Symes, and we were exploring the lower levels for more food and other supplies. You're alone, though. You were sent down here by yourself? They asked. I hung my head then, explaining the grim fate of my companions. These people cringed at the revelation that my team had been taken by the Symes, undoubtedly transformed. They considered me for a moment before speaking again. We're also something of a survivor enclave. We are the last of the maintenance employees that were trapped under the labs that had become infested. 
A few of us were aware of the safe hideaway down here in these tunnels. Unlike the bureaucrats upstairs, we aren't shy about talking to each other. When things went down, we made our way down here, protected by the maze of tunnels and the machines upstairs, the lead man explained. Something of a survivor shelter that was built down here. It was meant for the highest-ranking company executives, but screw them. We've survived down here off of the rations that were stored. They trailed off and looked at the others. You can come with us. We'll show you the way outside, but we aren't interested in giving up our stockpiles, they said. I understand. I'm only looking for the way out, I replied. Follow us, they said, and then turned to start walking the other direction. I followed these men through the sewer tunnels at a much more rapid pace. They seemed to know the twists and turns, as if they'd traveled them a hundred times over. As we went around one bend in particular, another faint glow of light could be seen through a large steel doorway. Several men were standing guard on this tunnel behind large barricades. Undoubtedly, they were keeping a lookout for signs that wandered anywhere near. I glanced through the doorway as we passed. It wasn't a large bunker, just enough for a small group of people, a couple families to take shelter within. They weren't a large group, but they had managed to survive down here on their own. I could sympathize with their desire to be left alone. They only had enough for their group, and couldn't support our enclave at the power station. It would be selfish for us to try. We moved away from the bunker doors, light fading behind us. Sounds of people, families, and children also receding as we moved back into the pitch darkness. After what seemed like an hour of walking through the darkness, we came to a large door with several warning signs printed around it. Messages indicating hostile surface environment, respirators required, were printed on all sides. Removing my pack, I pulled out my respirator and checked that it was still assembled correctly. Do you have a magnetic shield out here? I asked, noticing the man looking over my survival gear. We don't know, the lead man said. We don't have any of this equipment. Opening this door is certain death for us. You're on your own from here on out. Controls for the seals are by the door. With that, the men turned and left me there, undoubtedly returning to their bunker, safe away from the dust and the slimes. I put on my respirator, ensuring that a good seal was made and I could breathe through it without too much trouble. Seal controls were where the men had said, a simple lever to allow the door to open. To be safe, I powered on the repulsor, feeling the electrical sensation course through my skin. As the door opened, I saw immediately that there was a small magnetic shield unit powered on at the sewer exit. I cleared the door and pulled it closed again the seals on the other side locking automatically. I was free, clear of the facility and the terror of the Symes. Only now I had this poisonous wasteland to contend with before I could make it to the power station. Deactivating my repulsor once I was clear of the magnetic shield, I checked my navigation arm pad to map a course back to the power station. I was eight miles away from the front entrance, which was very surprising. That sewer system must have been massive to have put me so far away. Nevertheless, I began my trek back home, determined to spread the word of what was found. 
I made my way through the front entrance as the filters on my respirator began to clog beyond repair. Inside, and able to take a deep breath of clean air, I went immediately to the command in the Enclave to pass on the news. Though I can't confirm everything that passed afterward, I found out that the bags of medicine discovered in the labs had an uncanny resistance to the parasite. I heard through rumor that our people may be able to build some sort of vaccine or remedy that could prevent infection. As for the survivors in the sewer, the next expedition is expected to be an outreach and trade, providing resources we scavenge from the upper security areas for food and water. The vaccine they are producing will undoubtedly be part of that negotiation. The ID tokens that were recovered were logged back into our systems, and the stories of the fates of my companions were passed along to their friends and families. The sheer number of experienced people we lost was borderline catastrophic to our scavenging efforts. Training to bring new people up to speed was to begin immediately. For myself, I was given some much-needed time off from the expeditions into the upper facility, though they may be interested in sending me to negotiate with the other settlement. We were not successful in finding a reliable new source of supplies from the lower levels. Maybe, though, the discoveries we did find will help us survive on this planet a little longer. Only time will tell. <laughs>